Thanks very much. Kia No otatahi aho ko Richard Black toku ingawa. Now, how hard was that? You know, I don't know if you were here last night or you even noticed, but my brain thought that was incredibly difficult last night and stumbled over the words. And do you know what was really gutting? Was I had practiced that a lot. I know. So it's always good to do a do-over. How many people weren't here last night? Oh, you all were. This is great. So there's no new ones in the crowd. Either that or I just can't see you. I see one hand at the back and your friend is now resenting you for pointing them out. But as you know, my name's Richard Black. I head up this organization called Strength to Strength. And so we do a number of things that you can check out on our Facebook page or on our website, strengthtostrength.co.nz. And there are a number of things that we've got going on. So just have a look at the events page or some of the different things that we've got going on. There's even some free promotional activity taking place there as well. So that's always good. Uh, one of the things that we looked at last night to start us off with is uh, it took you to this place of examining our identity. Do you remember this? Three of you do. Excellent. So, and in this, we looked at why is it that we resist these, the things that God tells us about who we are. Now, if any of that resonated with you uh, and, and you just thought that was brilliant, well, you're in luck. You see, my first book is about to be released in September, and it's on that topic. Isn't that a coincidence? It's called Centered Knowing Who You Are in an Off-Balance World. And you know, if you even wanted to, you could pre-order a copy. But of course, it's always the next baby that you love more. I mean, that, that's sort of warm to your heart. And the, the next book that I'm ju it's just about finished is a children's book on mental and emotional well-being and resilience. And it's called, There's a Happy Moon in My Side. So the thing that I've noticed is that we talk about this area of mental wellness and resilience, and we're doing a lot of this with adults, but we actually need to see more and more of it taking place with our kids. And in many ways, that's sort of what I want to talk with you today about. I want us to look in, in how do we build, how do we grow healthy minds? Because you have to be living under a rock if you haven't noticed the sort of increasing tide of mental health issues that we seem to be facing in our society, whether it be around depression, anxiety, suicidality, self-harm, or, or addictions and different kinds of habits. It, it just seems to be increasing. So, so what does it look like? What, what are some of the things that we can all do to help strengthen our own well-being and our resilience. So that's where I want to take you today. Does that sound okay? Yeah, it does to five of you. I am getting better, but I've lost everyone at the back. I don't know if you guys just haven't had your coffee yet or whatever it is. But you see, in this, this is such an important area. But, you know, the place where I feel like I need to start with you, the thing that I feel like I need to share with you, and this may come as a surprise to a number of you. In fact, it may come as a shock to many of you. But you see, for me, I have not always been the paragon of mental and emotional health that you see before you. No, no, it's true. 
You see, I'm a white middle-class guy, and when I came to faith as a 16-year-old boy down in Christchurch, I became a white middle-class Christian guy. So it goes without saying, I had no problems. And I belonged to a white middle-class church, and we all got together, and we were all in agreement that we didn't have any problems. Not really. I mean, sure, we weren't perfect, but problems are what other people have. So you can imagine that when the spotlight of mental and emotional health did a kind of reality check in my life, yeah, I was in for a bit of a rude awakening. When I realized that I I couldn't blame other people for how I was feeling, yeah, these weren't good times. When I discovered that the things that I was struggling with all around me was more of a reflection of what was going on inside of me, (laughs) yeah, happy, happy. That in this, you know, as I was wrestling with with all this stuff and and I was realizing and facing what was going on in my life, you know, at one point I realized this wasn't hard to spot. I mean, it's not hard to see what was wrong with Richard or what Richard was struggling with. But, you know, in all of this confusion, I, I was praying, I was saying, Lord, why hadn't I noticed this before now? Why hadn't I seen this? This was pretty obvious. And I felt like the Lord say to me, Well, Richard, let me put it like this. If you are an addict in a world of addicts, how do you know you've got a problem? Do you get that? And also, I was thinking and I was struggling with, I was thinking, Lord, you know, why isn't it that I haven't been transformed before now? I mean, I've come to faith. I love Jesus. I worship. I read my Bible. I do all the things that I'm supposed to do. So why aren't I transformed? Like, it seems like the scriptures will tell me and it seems like, you know, that that I've wanted and what the preachers tell me about. Now, Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that nothing had changed. When I came to faith, it... It felt like the Holy Spirit led me on my own sort of personal development program. You know, with all the different areas inside of me and all the different rooms inside of my being, it felt like the Holy Spirit would take me one time and then the next time to a door in my life and say, Richard, shall we look at what's going on in here? To which I would say to him, let's not. You know, and he worked in different areas of my life. He, he changed different parts of me. I had suffered from depression for about the first 16 years of my life. And when I came to faith, it lifted mostly. But I still had strong bouts of depression. I, I was still frustrated by why was I so thin-skinned? Why was I so easily hurt and offended? And then when I discovered that the speed at which you take offense is a great indicator of how mentally and emotionally unwell you are, (laughs) well, the joy just kept on coming. And, you know, as I was wrestling with all this, I started to look up and look around me, and I realized it's not just me. I could see other people struggling in different areas. You know, I would see churches where they just really longed to love each other. It's just that they didn't like each other very much. You know, I'd see churches where they wanted to resolve conflict well. But they ended up falling on their faces. Now, to be fair, we all know how to resolve conflict badly, don't we? And we can do that on a daily basis. But to resolve conflict well, well, that just takes 
a whole different skill level. You know, I'd see people who loved the Lord with all their heart, but they were suffering from ongoing depression and anxiety. I would see people who were a key part of the worship team, but they were secretly self-harming at home. I would see people who come to, to the church every Sunday and they love to lose themselves in worship, but they would go home and repeatedly yell at their kids. I would see people who were serving the Lord faithfully for years, but they were still caught in their different habits and their addictions, their pornography, their comfort eating, their alcohol. And as I looked at all of this and wondered why, one of the things I realized is that we've actually forgotten where real transformation comes from. You know, we know the scriptures. We know what they say. But for some reason, we just haven't been able to apply them. And so in many ways, for, for the rest of this morning, what I want to do is I just want to take you through some of those scriptures, some of the things that you may already be very familiar with, and just take a, a different look at them and see what they say to us. You see, because one of the, the classic scriptures here that we read is it says in John 8, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, isn't that interesting? He didn't say that prayer ministry would set you free, but I love prayer ministry. Nor did he say that a tithing campaign would set you free. And I love that a lot less. And to be fair, nor did he say that counseling would set you free. What he said was, truth will set you free. So when you encounter truth, wherever you encounter truth, if it really is the truth, then freedom comes. And this is why we read in Romans 12, where, where Paul says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and not through the removal of our mind, as many Christians seem to think. That actually what goes on between our ears, what goes on in our mind is critically important to our overall well-being. But you see, what I will see, what I see happen in so many churches is that we sort of want to separate out these two worlds. That oftentimes in churches will separate out the spiritual world, the spiritual zone from this other world of the mental and emotional health. As if somehow these two are mutually exclusive. And we'll focus on the spiritual zone, and understandably so, because this is our zone, isn't it, people? We own this zone. This is the world of prayer, of fasting, of Bible reading, and laying on of hands, depending on your denomination. And you see, we've tried to answer everything through this lens, but a lens that's separated from this other world. And, and at times, when we haven't been able to answer it all, when people are still struggling in their anxiety, their marriages are still breaking up, well, now we jettison them over to this other world, this world of the psychologists, the counselors, the psychotherapists. And we look with a lot of suspicion at what goes on over here. And understandably so. Because, you know, there's been some pretty wacky things said by some pretty wacky people. And we just hope that they might come back slightly normal with their faith still intact. But of course, as we read scripture, we're transformed through the renewing of our mind. These two worlds are not mutually exclusive. They are, in fact, inextricably connected. And when we separate them, we do so to our detriment. 
And we also get into this habit in this world of, of mental emotional health. It's as if it's only one or the other. It's as if you're somehow mentally ill or you're somehow mentally well. And so we all want to be on the mentally well side. And then at times we're just surprised where someone seems to have fallen off over into the mental illness side. We're like, whoa, I just didn't see that coming. But of course, this is on a continuum, people. You're all on the spectrum somewhere. And you see, and when we don't realize that, we don't protect ourselves. You see, a sign of mental health is not having nothing to work on. A sign of mental health is knowing where you are on that continuum and knowing what your stuff is, your vulnerabilities, knowing what you need to work on. So if you can't name the area that is your growth edge, the area where you're susceptible, the area where you're still working to grow more into the likeness of Jesus, if you can't name that, that's not mental health. That's denial. Or just your blind spot. So we need to bring these worlds back together. We need to understand that the spiritual and the mental and emotional health go hand in hand. We need to understand that we're all on a journey. We're all on a growth path. And there's another verse in Scripture that is a seemingly innocent little verse. Although, to be fair, they all seem pretty innocent until you take a closer look at them, don't they? And this verse is in 2 Corinthians 3.17, and it says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, or liberty, depending on your translation. And in this, what that also means, though, is wherever you are not experiencing freedom, then guess what? The Spirit of the Lord isn't present there, not to the degree that He wants to be. Now, why is that? Because He is the Spirit of truth. And when we unconsciously, unwittingly are holding on or believing something that's actually a lie, well, we quench the one who is the spirit of truth. And we give access to one who's known as the father of lies. And he comes to rob, kill, and destroy. So in, in one sense, you know, I'll meet people who what they've got Holding, they're holding on to deep down inside is that they have this belief that in fact they are a disappointment to God. And it doesn't matter then how many times they hear about God's love for them. That just washes off them. And they're left perhaps in a, a state of depression and maybe despondency. You know, if a person believes deep down that they're only as good as what they're able to produce or achieve, well, then it doesn't matter how many times they hear about God's grace. They're always going to be in this kind of state of anxiety to make sure, have I performed well enough? Am I doing well enough? Am I succeeding well enough? And all those messages about God's grace just wash off them. Or many people who believe deep down inside that there's actually something wrong with me. I'm not good. I'm not normal. If you got to know me, you'd find that I'm faulty and I'm broken. And it doesn't matter then how many times that they hear about the fact that they are a child of God, love, dreamed up before the creation of this world. That just washes off them. And they keep the sense of self-loathing and self-hatred inside. 
And so what I'll find in this is that there are times when, when there are people who are struggling with so many things and they are crying out to the Lord, please, Lord, deliver me, save me, change me. And it's like they're on one side of a locked door longing for God to come in. And what they don't realize is he's on the other side of the locked door longing to come in and bring the change. But what they don't realize is they are the one who holds the key. Because as you hold on, consciously or unconsciously, to a lie, you quench the work of the Spirit. But it's not until we discover what that lie, what that deep belief is, that we bring His truth that unlocks the door and allows the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to come in and do what He does in our life. And that's when the truth really does set us free. You see, right now, if you were just to do a stock take in your life, just examine what's going on in every area of your life, where are you not experiencing freedom? In your emotions? In your relationships? In your sexuality? In your finances? in your comfort eating, your pornography, where are you not experiencing freedom? Because at that point, the spirit is quenched and we need to discover what's the truth that will open the door. Are you with me? There's another passage, and this is one where I'm going to camp on for a little bit that we've heard this weekend already. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. And in it we read, The weapons we fight with are not of this world. In fact, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, there is so much in that that is so powerful in bringing about transformation for us. You know, one of the things that's really interesting here is that word, stronghold, which has a sort of spiritual connotation to it. In the Greek, it can also be translated house of thoughts. What is a stronghold? In many ways, it's a mentality. It's a mindset that takes root and takes hold and takes territory within us. And we see that played out in the next part of the passage where it says, because we are to demolish these arguments and these pretensions, these logic, these rationale, this belief system that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God is, that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God says we are, that sets itself up against the knowledge of what our God says is true. Now, in this, though, that's something that we need to understand. It's about breaking apart, demolishing these strongholds. But at times, what we can miss, that is so obvious in this passage that at times we just become blind to that. You know, let me ask you, these weapons that we are given, that, that have divine power, who is to use it? We are. 
We are the ones to take these weapons and use them to demolish these strongholds. Now, I don't know about you, but I really wish that wasn't true. I wish I could just say, you know, Lord, you know some of the different issues that I'm struggling with, where I'm all sort of bound up inside. I'm just going to go to sleep now. And if you could sort of sort all of that out, that would be great. But again, he doesn't do it without us. He does it with us in order to do it in us. There is a partnership that goes on here that we need to understand. And so what is the part that we play in this? Well, from this passage, there are four key things, four key steps, tools that you can use to start to bring greater mental and emotional well-being to your life. Now, if for some reason you've got a stronghold, that is deep and entrenched in your life, if there is trauma in your life, well, then you may need a professional to help you break this stronghold apart. What I'm going to share with you is something that we can do as part of our sort of everyday pattern and habit. You know, in the same way that no one expects you to do your own root canal, but we do expect you to be able to brush your teeth a couple of times a day. And so this, what I'm going to show you, is just a bit of what the scripture tells us to do for brain brushing. And there are four key points here, and I've made them all start with A, and that took a lot of hard work, so be impressed. And so what we see from this passage, what we, we need to start with is, is that if we're going to demolish these strongholds, we first of all have to be aware of them. We've got to be aware, what are these arguments, these pretensions that we're going to break apart, that we're going to demolish with divine weapons? You see, what I find is that so often, so many people, they just run on autopilot. They're not conscious of what's going on inside of them, what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And so one of the first places to start to get better emotional health is start to become aware Aware of what you're telling yourself. Aware of what the chatter is going on in your mind. As you drive off to work or as you go to study somewhere, what are you telling yourself? As you head home, as you're doing the, the shopping, as you're doing your, your chores, what are you telling yourself? As you know there are phone calls you need to make, emails you need to send that are perhaps going to be a bit tense. What are you telling yourself? Start to become aware of the chatter in your mind. And the other thing that we need to become aware of is what am I actually feeling? You see, what I find is that we can fall into a couple of pitfalls here. That sometimes when it comes to our emotion, what many people can fall into is they fall into the pattern of indulging their emotions. Where they feel an emotion. And so they examine their emotion, and they explore their emotion, and they feel their emotion, and they don't want you to tell them that you can't feel this emotion because this is my emotion, and I like my emotion, and if you really cared about me, you'd come and sit with me in my emotion, and we'd explore my emotion together. So that's called indulging your feelings. But then down the other end, we've got the other people who know, never trust an emotion. They lie. And so these people like to build walls between them and what they're feeling. It's called denial. And any time they come across a feeling, an emotion, they just throw it over the fence. I don't really feel anything. You could poke me if you like. I'm just numb from the head down. 
And what these people don't realize is that when you deny your emotions, it's just a different version of indulging your emotions. Why is that? Because you're still being bullied and driven by them. You know, if you had a broken ankle and we jammed you full of an anesthetic so you could walk on it, it would still be broken bone grinding on broken bone. I mean, the place where we need to be with is we need to start with honesty. This is God's place. Because the Bible says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. There's no darkness. There's no pretense. There's no faking. When you get radically honest, you're in one of the most sacred places. And from this point, we can now work out what are we going to do with what's going on inside of us. The second A there is that we need to arrest. We need to arrest the thoughts and the feelings that are actually not helping us, that are not from him, that are not constructive, that are not supportive. The psychologists talk about something that goes on in our mind as ants, automatic negative thoughts. And your brain is so conditioned that, that when something happens, you know the response to give you. Yeah, of course I failed. I've stuffed up. I'm a loser. This will never work for me. People don't like me. It's not going to work out well. No one will want to talk with me. Whatever the situation is, you know how to respond to it, and it's always negative. And you will assume that's who you are or that's how reality is. No, that's how you've been conditioned. And we need to arrest and take these ants captive. When my family and I used to live up here in the, the Hutt Valley, you know, and as you know, living here in Wellington, there are actual ants. So you've got to keep most things in the fridge. And I remember one time my wife had made this absolutely gorgeous banana cake covered in chocolate icing with chocolate hail. And we had a slice, and it was delicious. And you know when you have one of those pieces and someone says, well, would you like another piece? And you think, I don't mind if I do. And so we get up and we go back into the kitchen to have another piece of cake. But this time, what do we notice? There's a trail of ants going to the cake. And, and you know, chocolate hail... And an ant looks surprisingly similar. And you know that the, the banana lines within a banana cake look surprisingly like ants. So, you know, is this an ant? Is this chocolate ale? Is this banana? What is it? And it was too hard. So in the end, we had to dump the cake. And you see, in many ways, that's what these ants do in our life. They come in and they come to rob, steal, and destroy. They come to steal your peace, your joy, what God is wanting for you. They steal the truth. And we need to take these ants captive and not allow them to run riot in our brain. And even to follow them down to the nest to find where's the deep belief that's causing these ants in the first place. And the third thing that we need to do is we need to be able to answer these thoughts, these situations with the truth, with the truth that does set us free. But you see, one of the key things here is that the truth that we grab a hold of, it has to be a real answer and not just a right answer. 
And what's the difference between a right answer and a real answer? A real answer is one that you can engage with and absorb. It is a right answer that I can connect with. But a lot of times we have right answers that just go up here to our, our brain and they do nothing. Like I remember at one point when I was struggling with my sense of belonging and connection with other people and someone said to me, Richard, what you need to understand is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, is that true? It so is. Did that help me? Not in the slightest. But when I sat with that and said, well, what does that actually mean? As I cracked it open, as I focused on it, I thought, well, what that means is I've been dreamed up by my God before the creation of the world. He's brought me onto this planet because he needs me and he wants me. His fingerprints are all over me. So I have worth and value before I ever say or do anything. Now, did that do something? Sure did. Things began to shift inside of me. Because one of the differences that, that, that we between a right answer and a real answer that we've forgotten about from Scripture is that we are to meditate on the truth. We are to marinate into the truth. So in one sense, what's the difference between a right answer and a real answer? About 10 minutes of meditation. And we need to find what's the real answer for us. Because at times it's different for different people. It's not that the truth is different. But the way that we access the truth can be different. Like I've worked with people who are struggling and recovering from sexual abuse. And some of the truth I see that they engage with that begins to set them free. Is as they realize they were just as sexually pure after the abuse as they were before it. Why is that? Because this happened to them. It didn't happen with them or from them. And with them, something changes. I have others who they get that, but it doesn't quite move things in the way they need it to. And they may write out the story of abuse so they can share it because they want their voice heard. And they'll bring it to me to read it to me. And I'll say, now, before you read it, just tell me this. What do you now understand? And they'll say things like, this wasn't my fault. They'll say, I knew that intellectually beforehand, but now I get it. They'll say things like, I never wanted this. I never asked for this. I resisted this. They'll say, before I sort of knew that intellectually, but now I get it. So we need to be able to engage with truth so that it becomes a real answer in us. And we're not just responding to right answers that bounce off the surface, the surface of our mind. And the final thing that we need to do is we actually need to apply the truth. We need to walk it out. We need to live it out. We need to be in the space where we're living in accordance with it. So we practice the new habit of being in the truth. So my friends, if we are to grow healthier minds, as we engage with scripture, we need to, to find out where, where is my growth edge? Where is the place where I'm not experiencing freedom? That I need to find out what is the, the lie, the deep belief, that's working there. I need to start to become aware. I need to actively arrest what's been going on and answer with truth. And now start to live it out. That I might live a much more freer, healthier life than perhaps what I have been. Are you with me? Can I get the band back up here, please?
Look, just where you are right now, I just want you to, let's just take a moment of reflection, a moment of prayer. That if you, let's just pray and center on the Lord. Can we do that? Just close your eyes. Just, just greet the Lord where you are, if you haven't already. And I want you to ask him, Lord, what do you want me to get from what's just been shared? Just spend some moment thinking of that and listening to him. And whatever it is, I want you to take that seriously. And I want you to focus on it slowly. You see, we are such busy people with such busy minds. But change, change happens in the slow. Which is why we need to engage with truth slowly. I want you to think of what he's asking you to keep working on. I want you to think about also what are some things that you're going to take away from what I just shared? So that when we break for morning tea and having a drink, I want you to start to share that with one another. In fact, if you ask the person you're with, so what did you take away from that? You get in first and so they're in the hot spot and they have to answer. And you just listen. That sounds good, doesn't it? But let's pray. Father, we thank you that your heart is for us, that if you did not withhold your son, will you not give us immeasurably more and everything else in your heart, in your resources? So Father, we pray, Lord, would we have more of your spirit? Would we have more of your spirit of truth? Would you fill us? Would you lead us into all truth? Lord, would you equip us with weapons that do destroy these strongholds, that bring freedom inside of us? Lord, would we understand your truth more clearly? Would we dare to let go of the lies and the beliefs that have felt so familiar and so strong and step into this unfamiliar area of your truth and what you're leading us to? Lord, would we embrace the roller coaster ride of going with your truth and where it leads us? So, Lord, have your way with your kids. Let them know your love. And, Lord, I pray, do not leave them the same, but keep transforming all of us into your likeness. As we pray for this in your name, Jesus. Amen.